This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with NCBA's Colin Woodall next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 480 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Price discovery for beef cattle has become a top issue for the cattle industry. Members of Congress and even President Biden have offered criticism of the consolidation in the meatpacking industry. Early next month, NCBA members will gather in Houston for their annual convention. Colin Woodall, CEO of the group, says it's easy to define their top issue. This will be the key topic that will be discussed by our membership during the convention in Houston that first week of February. It has really been at the top of the list of NCBA since the pandemic hit almost two years ago. And not only have we been engaged working with Congress and other associations, but all the work that we have done internally to look at that same question. What is the answer? Knowing that the cattle industry is so different depending upon where you are in the country. The way they do things in Florida is different from the way things they do it in Kentucky. It's different the way things they do it in Texas. It's different the way things they do it out in Hawaii. And so traditionally we have discovered that blanket one-size-fits-all approaches usually just don't work for our industry. But still we have to figure out what else is out there. And about a year and a half ago, we said that we needed better price discovery through more cash trade. And that's where NCBA has spent a lot of time trying to do that and do that voluntarily. And one of the things we're going to be able to show in Houston is that we have been successful in getting that done in areas such as Texas and Kansas, where there was a push to get more cash trade. We have achieved that more or that increased cash trade. And that is a, a great win for us. But still, that doesn't necessarily answer the question for everybody in the cattle business. And that's why we're going to have some additional conversations of what more is needed. We are engaged in the discussions about expanding capacity, especially with so much demand that has resulted in people wanting local beef. And that, of course, really uh, caught a gear during the pandemic. And we're seeing a lot of our members in particular who are getting into further processing, who are getting into uh, local sales, farmers markets. And we think that that is a great opportunity for them. So looking at expanded capacity, especially in a local regional basis, will be a big part of our discussion in Houston. It already has been a big part of our discussion, something we're supportive of and working with the Secretary and USDA on when it comes to their funding. But then also getting back to a key component of this whole problem, and that is making sure that there are enough workers in this industry so that way 
the packing plants, whether they're big or small, can actually operate to their full capacity. And that is something that has plagued us now, as I said, going on almost two years in the early days of the pandemic. And we have to get that addressed. We need a guest worker program that allows us to have workers in these plants and feed yards and on cattle farms and ranches. So let's fold this onion back just a little bit if we can. Senators Grassley and Fisher obviously have legislation that has been proposed and some are strongly in favor and some aren't so sure that more government is the right answer. Uh, the Oval Office and President Biden has been involved in basically pointing a finger at packers that control such a large percentage of the animals and, and ultimately could control the price of those particular animals. Is the answer more Washington? There's uh, several answers to that question. We have to start with the mandate because that has been the hot topic. Are we going to mandate a percentage of cash trade to be seen in our business? And NCDA's policy right now is that, no, we do not believe or support mandates in that regard because we we could sit down as an industry and we can tailor the absolute best piece of legislation possible. And as everybody who's listening to this uh, uh, piece right now understands, all that great work typically go sideways somewhere in the process. And so you can have the best of intentions, the best drafting out there, but you're probably never going to get the program that you really think that you want or need. And so then you spend years and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, and a lot of effort on Capitol Hill to try to unwind that. We don't want to have to spend that time trying to unwind things like a mandate, a cash trade mandate. At the same time, there are other things that can be done, such as making sure that the Packers and Stockyards Act is being fully enforced and that USDA has the resources to fully uh, fund all the staff that is needed to execute that program area. And one of the things that we saw in the president's uh, work on this was to have a, a portal at the Department of Justice to allow producers to be able to report concerns and uh, interactions that they have so that way Department of Justice can look at that. We think that that is a great opportunity to see how government can get involved. So you can't just go in and say, well, government has no role in it whatsoever. It just depends on what kind of role we're talking about. It. From the enforcement side of the Packers and Stockyards Act, providing some opportunity to have more discussions with the Department of Justice, that makes a lot of sense to us. But under NCBA's current policy, putting a mandate in place is not something we're supportive of. I think we learned the hard way during the COVID pandemic of how finely synchronized the meat industry is, and certainly beef is included in that. Uh, the Packers have worked toward uh, a condition of a cheap food policy of trying to deliver a quality product to the consumer. Uh, so to begin to change the method that has brought efficiency perhaps could be seen as a danger. And at the same time, if you're a producer and you look at the price that's in the meat case, you wonder why your price is where it is. And there's certainly room for questions. At the Farm Bureau Convention in Atlanta, uh, data was offered from the minority side of the Senate Ag Committee that had suggested that the Packer dollar was pretty consistent, but it's the retail dollar, uh, the retail share of the beef dollar that has grown. Uh, so the question is, can we identify the, the, how much of this is a short-term anomaly and how much of this is long-term that needs a bigger solution? That is a great question, but you also have to keep in mind that it's not just that 
uh, linear progression from the packer directly to the retailer. In a lot of cases, there's a lot of other people in the middle. And that's one thing a lot of folks don't realize or keep in mind that when it comes to the cattle and beef supply chain, there's a lot of people involved. And outside of that cow-calf producer, everybody else in that chain has some sort of margin they're going after. And they're all going to get their little piece of that margin until it ultimately falls on, on the feet of the, uh, the cow-calf producer who can't just take that margin and pass it back to somebody else because they're the beginning of that chain. So looking at the opportunity for more local processing, regional processing, as we talked about earlier, I do believe that that is an area that provides some opportunities to help cow-calf producers gain a little bit more access to the consumer and hopefully gain a little bit more money to put in their pocket. That's something we're supportive of. And, again, I think what the Secretary has done and what USDA has done, identifying some additional funding to help with that is key, as long as these programs that we expect to be rolled out here over the course of the spring can be Programs of substance. You know, it, we're not going to find a whole lot of help if USDA divvies this out in 5, 10, 15, 20,000 chunks. It's going to be a matter of looking at some very solid business plans from people that are looking at uh, starting a packing plant or expanding a packing plant and then making sure that there's some U.S. dollars, USDA dollars that uh, are actually uh, helpful in, in helping uh, provide the capital for those individuals to move forward with the execution of those plans. And that's the message we've delivered quite clearly to USDA or open. We'll take that. They will take that into account as they roll these programs out. Is there a threat that if you mandate the auction system, you begin to break down the, the synchronization of the packing industry and, and the chain speeds that you have? Uh, is there a chance that if you move away from the contract system that you take away the incentive of the producer to provide a higher quality product? Uh, there is cause and effect, it appears, all the way through this, and it looks like the beef industry might become as challenging as for wheat or certainly for dairy. That's why there's no silver bullet for this particular discussion, because there are so many variables involved in the time that animal drops on the ground on America's cattle farms and ranches until it's ultimately on the plate somewhere, whether that's in a restaurant or at home on the dinner table. And that's that's why we have struggled. That's why the industry has struggled. That's why NCBA as an association has struggled because there's so many viewpoints, so many discussion topics, so many of these variables that impact ultimately what happens to all of us on the production side. But the one thing that we have to keep in mind is that the reason why we have alternative marketing arrangements, the reasons why we have a lot of these contract opportunities and the reasons why we have seen the quality of beef just absolutely skyrocket is because of us as producers who asked for that. We are the ones that went and talked to the packers. We worked with the feeders in order to get these programs set up, and they have been extremely valuable. And we want to make sure that regardless of what happens moving forward, that we don't take away a cattle producer's right to market their cattle the way they want to. That is just the fundamental core of our position in this discussion, and it's a fundamental core of how we engage in the market um, discussions, whether it's uh, regulatory in nature, whether it's legislative in nature, or whether it's what we're doing as an industry internally to try to make ourselves better. Is there a bigger issue that you need from Washington than labor? We, we need labor. 
look, that, that's, I think everybody who's in agriculture right now understands and is frustrated that this is a very clear need. The Secretary has talked about how this is a clear need, but time and time again, when we know that we have support from Republicans and Democrats, from the House and the Senate, for ag guest worker programs, that we can't get it over the goal line. Uh, we we need this to be able to make the most of the operations of these plants to ensure that they are operating at capacity because we know if we can operate these at capacity, we've got plenty of cattle, we have plenty of demand, let's get as many through there as possible, and labor is just one of those uh, areas that, that's killing us right now. And so if we, if we get one request for, for Congress, it's do something for us on the ag worker side of things. So there's climate, there's carbon, and there's sustainability. And that seems to dominate a lot of conversations on Capitol Hill and, quite frankly, across the country. Build Back Better even includes dollars for additional conservation plans that would help toward agriculture sequestration. What does the beef producer, what does the beef industry need from Washington and to provide and to prove your stake in this improvement of the climate uh, in in the in the world, you know we have to be careful when we start talking about what do we need from Washington because in a lot of cases we don't need anything from Washington. Matter of fact, we'd all be better off if Washington would just stay out of our business nine times out of ten. One of the mantras of NCBA and one of the reasons why I love working for this association of being in the cattle industry because when you step back and you look at the overall sustainability discussion wherever. You want to take it from carbon, climate change, stewardship, etc. This is an opportunity for us to showcase the great work that this industry has already done. So when you just break it down into what is sustainability, it's being able to take something and sustain it well into the future. You look at our industry. We have people that are in the cattle business today that can go back and trace their lineage and their operations to, in some cases, Spanish land grants out in the western United States, to grants from King George on the eastern United States, where we have six, seven, eight generations of cattle producers. That's pretty sustainable. We have to make sure that we are talking about that in a more proactive manner, but it's not enough just to look at our history. We can't rest on our laurels. We have to show that we as an industry are committed to continual improvement. And that's what differentiates us a little bit is because we're saying, yeah, we're doing good things, but there's always a way to do it better. And so making that commitment, especially with what we did with our sustainability goals of saying we want to be uh, climate neutral by 2040, the only way we're going to do that is to get better because we can't do it today. It's going to take some more research, some more changes, some more innovation to get us to that point, and we're relying on that. And when we go back to the discussion of what can the government do, what can Washington do, I think helping us with research dollars to achieve that climate-neutral goal would be a big part of it and then allow us the the rest of the time to talk to the consumer, to talk to um, other regulatory bodies, whether they're here domestically or internationally, and showcase the great stewardship that is already in place on farms and ranches today. But if we were going to write climate-smart agriculture policy, some would say cover crops are the answer, and that'll work well east of the Mississippi and for crop farmers. 
wouldn't necessarily work so much in the West where a water shortage is a very real issue. The things that would help a row crop farmer aren't necessarily the things that would help uh, the beef cattle producer. So just like your cattle market, it doesn't look like climate-smart agriculture is also going to be a one-size-fits-all. Nothing in agriculture is a one-size-fits-all, and that's always been a challenge. Whether we're talking about farm bill programs, we're talking about uh, climate-smart agriculture, we're talking about cattle markets. That's always what's made it different, and it goes back to my earlier comment. We can do the best work in the world to try to develop a program or a policy that we think is going to uh, uh, help cattle producers or help anybody in agriculture, and we know that as soon as that rolled out, all of a sudden there are going to be phone calls from somebody out there that says, well, this doesn't work for me, whether that is um, CRP, regardless of what that program is, it doesn't work for everybody. And so as long as we can go into these discussions with everybody realizing that, then hopefully we can make some of the best decisions that are that are out there. But uh, you're, you're never going to have a, pro, a perfect farm program, uh, a, a perfect program that's, that is going to be able to, to help every single agriculturalist in this country. What are your concerns about WOTUS, and how big would the issue be if they remove navigable from a definition. Nobody should be surprised that we're having this discussion again. It was inevitable, especially with the administration change. But we have to give credit to the administrator. Administrator Regan has been willing to reach out to agriculture and to have all of us in agriculture at the table as we are talking about this. And that may, remains true today. So while, yes, we were very happy with the Navigable Waters Protection Rule and a lot of the work that uh, Administrator Wheeler and President Trump were able to do, you know, if you go back and you look at that, that, that wasn't perfect either. Um, it, it had its shortcomings, but it was definitely much better than WOTUS was. So when you look at uh, uh, the administrator's comments, you know, we're not going back to the 2015 rule. We have to we have to take heart in that and, uh, and and be pleased that I believe we will have many more opportunities to try to influence what this next WOTUS looks like. And so we are coming to the table, uh, offering up all of our input and suggestions on ways that they can do this to still protect water, but at the same time, protect private property rights, and also make sure that the administrator, president, everybody within the administration knows that when it comes to clean water, nobody's caring about clean water more than those of us in agriculture, especially those of us in the livestock business and the cattle business. Uh, We have to have clean water. If we don't have clean water, we don't have an industry. So our commitment is there. We just have to make sure there's a little common sense being introduced in the discussion on what this WOTUS actually is. And we we know that's a big, tall order to ask for common sense to be introduced into a Washington, D.C. discussion. But I think that the administration has to look back at everything that agriculture did and pushing back against WOTUS and understand that we can be a formidable foe if uh, if you cross us. But at the same time, we can also be your best friend if you're willing to work with us and help us achieve something that uh, that can be workable. And so that message is something we're helping to deliver. And, again, I, I will give uh, credit to Administrator Regan for uh, his willingness to, to talk to us. Colin, the Corn Refiners Association looked back, and from 2010, the U.S. has signed four free trade agreements. China has signed ten. 
Japan and the European Union and other partners have signed uh, seven or eight along the way. Uh, is there enough emphasis on trade and what would be key points that the Cattlemen's Beef Association would like to see this ad- administration take up? Trade is so extremely important to our industry because that's the only way we're going to be able to grow our industry and provide opportunities for cattle producers today and in the future. Because, you know, we are a fairly mature beef-eating country. We're not going to find a new demographic that's all of a sudden going to pop up and say, oh, I want to eat beef. But we can find that overseas in places such as China where with the uh, Phase 1 actions with China, we have been able to just see some remarkable U.S. beef exports into China, and very easily they could become our number one market uh, here before too long because of, of that demand. So we need new markets. We need trade. For years, it was just about our variety meats in the offals, hearts, kidneys, livers, tongues, etc. But not so much anymore. It is about middle meats. It's about sirloins and ribeyes and tenderloins as we have more people get that taste for U.S. beef and want something more than just a liver or a tongue. Those kind of opportunities are critical to our success. And right now, when we are engaging with Ambassador Todd, U.S. Trade Representative, her staff, and the President, we are really putting pressure on them to do as much as they can when it comes to the United Kingdom and the U.S.-U.K. trade agreement. We have a great opportunity here to provide some opportunities or an expansion of uh, uh, U.S. beef exports into the U.K., especially if we can do it based on sound science and accepted production principles and practices, such as the use of implanted hormones, which is a tried, true, and tested approach to ensuring that we can get as much beef produced as possible. But unfortunately, we have been fighting the EU on that for years. And our hope is, with the U.K. pulling out of the EU, that they will look at the science, they will look at the precedent, they will look at what we're doing here in the United States and be able to say that there is nothing to be afraid of. And so right now it is uh, for us a lot about getting this United uh, States, United Kingdom trade deal moving forward. Colin Woodall, as it is open mic, sir, you've got the last word today. There's plenty to be worried about if you're a cattle producer these days. But at the same time, we are really starting to see some unique opportunities come our way things that we never would have expected in the past, things like being able to to hang our reputation on stewardship and talk to the consumer about that in order to make sure they continue to buy our product. And we hope with the change in the cattle markets and hopefully a change in the weather pattern here in 2022 that we will have a very successful year because our members in this industry are committed to ensuring that we have a safe, high-quality product that people can have fun eating, that enjoy eating, and that we as producers can stand back and be very proud of what we have done to not only put that steak on the plate, but to take care of the animals that gave us that steak and take care of all the natural resources that help that animal put that ribeye on the plate. Our thanks to Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.